0: Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 386. Today we have USDF gold medalist, and he's also a multifaceted personality in the equestrian world. He has a background that includes competing internationally in show jumping and transitioning seamlessly into the world of dressage. His career is a testament to the adaptability and pursuing one's true calling. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Misha Knoll. Hi, Misha. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Um, I'm so excited to hear about your story and your journey to um, where you're at now with dressage. But tell me first, how you how did you, you first get started in the horse world?
1: I started uh, riding when I was really young, six years old. And um, I actually, my mom said to me the other day when I was visiting in Holland, I said, how did I start? She said, I have no idea why you suddenly wanted to go on pony riding but huh. you came home one day and you said mom I want to go horse riding and uh, they told me okay that's okay but first you need your swimming diploma that in Holland is really common that you need needed as a kid mm. so after I did that I started my first pony lessons and uh, yeah the virus was there and I never left <laughs>
0: yeah you began as a successful show jumper but eventually transitioned into dressage so what prompted that shift
1: yeah, so with the ponies, I was always uh, into dressage. And then um, I was really tall and a young age. So I think it was 13. So I got my first horse. And that horse we bought as a dressage horse. But after like one or two months, um, it uh, turned out that it was a much better jumper. So that's how I got into the jumping world with that specific horse. And um, when I was 15, I did my for- first uh, 130 and then I got selected for the junior uh, squads and I did some uh, international shows and, I have, and I'm doing an, a junior uh, European championships. And um, when the horse got sold um, because he was not really good enough for the young rider stuff back in the day. And then, um, yeah i end up going back to dressage <laughs> actually it was also because the jumping was always a thing with me and my dad um and my dad uh, died suddenly of a heart attack when i was 21 years old and uh, that was really sudden and yeah that the, the thing with the jumping was always something that i really did with my dad so wow. after that i got back in dressage yes okay. so
0: what was it about the horse that um you were you know discovering that it preferred jumping more
1: Yes, he, he was like, back in the day, you had um, horses who can bread dressage and jumping. It's yeah. now more specific. But then, um, because we're talking, I'm 48, so we're talking about a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, that horse was from a um, dad called Notaris, and he kept jumping and dressage horses. And <laughs> the, the boarding facility where, we, uh, where where I was at as a kid, they always did jumping and dressage. So, once a week, we did jumping lessons with the ponies. We did that and also with the, with the horses. So and then in the jumping lessons, we figured out, oh, my God, this horse is actually a really, really good jumper. So that's how it started.
0: Amazing. I know for uh, a while, you spent many years in the Netherlands and you were yes. balancing your professional career at a bank and obviously your impressive riding career. But what was it like to balance both? Did you find that one kind of impeded upon the other? Yeah, so
1: it started um, when my, when I was 21, I was still in college. My my dad died suddenly and there was like no money. So I had to finish, yeah. of course, my degree. And then I started working in, in the banking industry. And I actually quit writing for two years or something. But yeah, of course, that's what I told you you have and you can never get rid of it. Yeah. So then I started writing again uh, for an owner and um, it was actually... <laughs> I did for years, I think, at least for 10 years, I only wrote two or three times a week because, yeah, of course, if you're working full time, it's really hard. And then so I really, really, yeah, wrote as an amateur, I would call it, you know, I, I wrote at a high level, but only three, four times a week. So just before work or in the weekends. And uh, so that was always a nice combination. Um after my job got more intense because I became a manager at one point and then yeah of course you have also a lot of social events to go to in the evening or even in the weekends so then it was a little bit tough to do both uh, and that also yeah I really missed it and I always felt that um, you know I always was was wondering how would my life would be if I was really in the horse business and that's mm-hmm. also why I turn out to take a sabbatical because of the, the the banking industry. Because in Holland, I don't know if you know that, but the, the, the banks are like much more digital than in America. I mean, I, I worked with the bank for many years and I even haven't saw a check. So that's how much yeah. different it is in Europe than it oh, is here. Yeah. So every two years, the bank had like a big reorganization and it was shutting down branches. And But they invest a lot for the employers To Like, hey, listen, it can be over next time. So next time, you know, you have a lot of people, we are going to fire again. And uh, so make sure that you always, you know, stay behind the wheel and do what you really want and let not anybody else take over that. So and that was also what they did with the managers that they really you took uh, time and they invest in, in training to bring that back to the people in your teams. Um, but they also, for us as managers, it was also uh, one afternoon we had a sort of inspirational uh, afternoon, and there was a speaker, and she was like really nice. She talked about her personal story that she was an or is a journalist and then she got a boyfriend and he was really hooked uh into uh, racing cycling, and she was always really on fitness and and then she started to do the racing cycling when she was twenty eight or twenty nine and then she turned out to be really talented in it, and she really liked it. And for her job as a journalist, she um, went into she did a do- documentary with Olympic champion uh, Leontine van Morsel, uh, Olympic champion Sydney 2000, and she had like an, a team of girls uh, doing the racing cycling. So she went part. She became part of the team for a documentary, and then. After a couple of trainings, it turned out she was faster than 50% of the girls. Wow. And then at the end of the documentary, Leontine gave her a, a spot in her team. So she became, at the age of 30, a professional racing cyclist. And that was yeah. her whole story. And it was so inspiring. And that was also the year that I turned 40. And I thought, oh, wow, if I ever want to do something with the horses professionally, then it's now or never, you know? Mm. So, and then I took a sabbatical for my job as a banker and my manager was really supportive of it. And um, I always had in mind because I I had literally a dream and I, I called it Misha's dressage dream that I was taking a sabbatical going to America. I don't know why America. But that was always in my dream. <laughs> and um, I go there and then I take two, three months for horse riding. And in the end of my sabbatical, I will do a Grand Prix dressage test. Mm. Because I did, uh, I, I rode small tour, multiple horses up to I-1 but I never did Grand Prix. So that was really a dream of mine. So, and then I started a, a Facebook page at the time called Misha's Dressage Dream. And then uh, one of the Dutch magazines called The Hoofslag. um uh, called me and I said hey listen this is a really inspiring story do you want to make um, video blogs vlogs for us because you know that was a little bit the beginning of all the vlogs and sure. everything uh, so we're talking about eight years ago and then I start making every two weeks and a vlog with my phone like really amateurish <laughs> and I was making those videos about what my next step will be to get eventually to America wow. and do uh, do my whole thing with the dressage and then Halfway, uh, those vlogs, I got a message from Aileen She she's in Ocala, she's originally Dutch, and she said, hey, listen, I really like your story, but I don't have a Grand Prix horse. Um, but I have a client who might be able to buy a horse, because I do a lot of sales, we buy horses in Holland, and then we sell them here. So long story short, Whoa. I end up going to America, Ocala, like eight years ago, with two horses from Holland, both bought by her clients one uh, was one client and one was the other client and I competed those horses in Alcala during the season that winter and I got my silver and my gold uh, medal and it was an amazing experience and uh, at the end of my sabbatical I met my now husband Ryan Bell who is American and um, We started our own business.
0: Wow. (laughs) And so safe to say you stayed in the US.
1: (laughs) Yes. So halfway my sabbatical, I already decided, okay, I don't want to go back to the bank. I don't want to go back to my banking job. And um, there was another reorganization coming up. So I applied because you can always apply for your own job or not. And I said, I don't, I'm not interested, but the Mm. bank was always the one who could say yes or no. Uh, because they want to, of course, go with their best people. So they said, no, we're going to give you another two years contract. And and I said, yeah, this is not fair, because you really want people to follow their dreams and their hearts. And I, as a manager, are doing that now. So it's really not a good example to say no to me. And it went all up to the chain, and they decided to let me go. And I got uh, also one of the yeah the, the package is what you can get if, if they uh, fire you or take, you know mm-hmm. what I mean so that was actually really nice and they were really supportive and proud and so yeah that was all a good thing yeah I, I, I never regret it never <laughs> it was it was it was super exciting and really yeah. like scary and it was always not always easy you know suddenly being in a different country and of course different language and uh but yeah, I, I really like the journey so far. It's it's really, uh, really nice. And I'm happy that I did it. So
0: I wow. would say to everybody,
1: please, if you have a dream, just do it. I yeah. mean, you can always uh, go wrong and it can always not succeed. But, you know, you can never regret that you tried it.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I love yeah. that. What were some other differences or um, learning moments that you had when you first moved to the U.S. and you started working with Ryan. What are some ex- what are what are some things that you experienced that were so different than um, Europe to the U.S.?
1: So we directly started to do the sales, what I really like because it's sort of the same thing as doing a mortgage or uh, selling a house. Or so we uh, started to uh, to buy horses in, in in Europe and bring them over and uh, sell them, and then uh, always if clients are coming. And then it's a really different mentality uh, and 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 the culture sure. that people are you know with all the respect Americans are always really polite and always really you know less direct than the Europeans let's call it like that. <laughs> so then we, had, then we yeah. had like clients coming and then was, oh this goes pretty well and then I said yeah oh they're coming back to us and Ryan said no they're not coming back. This was no. And then I, for myself, call it quickly the American no. <laughs> <laughs> that was something I learned uh-huh. that, you know, people can be really like, but they're not, yeah, not everybody, but a lot of people are not direct enough to say, in Holland, if I try horses and I don't like it, and I said, sorry, but I don't like it this and this reason. Right. So this is it. And then you know what you have.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That but for some so Americans,
1: is that it's more difficult to be so direct. And they rather like, flake out and you know (laughs) not say what what they think at the moment
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah I bet that yeah I bet there are lots of things that you you experience I feel like throughout your career it's incredibly evident that you have become a master at pivoting and adjusting how do you manage to stay flexible enough to adjust to the circumstances both in your life and and working with horses throughout the years?
1: Well, I'm really goal oriented. I always was since I'm a kid. So if I have like a goal in mind, then I uh, can really stick to it mm-hmm. and I can be really easy step over disappointments and just like give me more strength and, and more determination to go for it for some reason. And I think that's really important that you if you if it doesn't go you know, uh, through uh, road A, then you have to find a road B. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's what's what it, it's all about life. And it's the same as with a horse. If some horses doesn't doesn't don't work with with the system you are riding them in, and you also have to adjust. They're all living creatures, and we are also living creatures. So, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 have to adjust to the people. And it's the same as really early on in my career at the bank, uh, I did an uh, a training, and it was a sort of sales training. And then um, they told us, it was like, it was pretty intense. It was four or five days. And they told us about that you have four type of types of people. Um, I tried to explain it in, in English, but it's like one is a thinker. If you're mm-hmm. talking about people who are buying stuff from you, one is a thinker. And the other one is, um, is a manager. So they know it all. And then the, the other one is an uh yeah a supporter so you think oh my god mm-hmm. is, you know that's the clients who you think you you have to deal with but they are the same with other people and <laughs> and yeah. then you have the you have to really the ones who are are really and like, need to go through their own process and like a little bit insecure and and it's actually true if you really go into it and everyone has a, a different approach you know I hate hate people will push if you go somewhere and people push you to buy something. Mm -hmm. I hate that myself. So I also don't want to do that to anybody who's coming for horse trying or anything, but it's what's really important for me is to be accurate in, in responding to messages or ask if people ask questions and, uh, do what you say and if you uh, for what reason cannot uh, be able to do it just say it you know say hey listen I said I call you back tomorrow with an answer but uh, sorry I don't have the answer but at least you have that answer to them you know what and if if you say to somebody I'm going to call you tomorrow morning and you don't do that that's really annoying and mm-hmm. I also so that's things I learn that always try to do what you say and it doesn't matter uh, how you say things what you say? Sorry, it doesn't matter what you say, but it's, it's a lot of times also how do you say it. So yeah, just be respectful, and 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 yeah, that's 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 really important.
0: Totally purchasing an international horse is a big investment. You deserve a dedicated partner that can really streamline the process and help you avoid overpaying unnecessary bank fees and high currency exchange rate markups that inevitably come with buying a horse overseas. GPS Capital Markets is here to help, and they have decades of experience helping clients from the equestrian industry specifically. Amidst the recent backdrop of inflation and uncertainty in the world, the Euro has steadily grown more expensive, but GPS is here to help. For more information about GPS and the services that they offer, visit their website at www.gpsfx.com or call their industry specialist at 714-414-5821 for the best way to save money and time when you need to send foreign currency. All right, let's get back to the episode. You have a training philosophy that it's a disservice to the horse to not listen to them and tweak training methods to suit the horse. So in your experience, how do you strike a balance between adhering to your core training principles and being flexible enough to maybe like accommodate the individual horse and what they need and their characteristics?
1: Now, it's not so much that I have different training methods, or but it's more that you know, some horse and let let me give you an example. Some horses are need to warm up or something. So, sure. and and then normally I always like to ride my ride in a sort of pattern. You know, start with a, a warm up walk, and then start to do a little bit lower o- over the back trot. Uh, you know, circles, a little bit leg yield here and there, and then you start to do in canter with uh, walk over trot, canter, decision, or whatever. But some horses do better. If you really start uh, 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 cantering them early on in their mm-hmm. ride, you know, mm-hmm. and that are little things what you have to what I learned, you have to listen a little bit, but okay, you have to try a little bit this and that. and if something works with the horse, stick to it, you know, right. and it's not that every horse uh, needs to have the same pattern of what in your riding. it's it's really, and also what I learned is that you have to listen and you, and you know, you have to feel. And and then also act on it. So if a horse feels a little bit, uh, as, as, at one point you're riding him already for a, a couple of months and then suddenly something changed that he's like stiff on the left or on the right. Yeah, call a chiropractor or mm. do some body work, you know, you have to, it's really important that the management is there and that you're, yeah, I'm I'm really against calling a vet every day. Mm. But sometimes you have to, you know, because sure. you cannot look inside. So uh, the management and listening to the horse, especially if you know the horse, that's really important, I think.
0: Definitely. That's such a good example, because I think that, you know, something as little as that, that for a lot of us in our own programs, you just think, okay, well, that's, that's how we've ridden our whole lives. You walk, then you trot, then you canter. Like, it's, you know, for some people, it's like, oh my gosh, why would you canter? First, that's so crazy. But for a lot of horses, I I have one in my program in particular that um is pretty cold to the leg, and so doing things like going up yeah, to the canter and exactly. coming back down to the trot, it really helps him.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. You are known for your knack in matchmaking between horses and riders, um, even pairing um some of our high level riders riders that we see today um like christian and son of a lady so what makes you so good at pairing horses and riders what do you look for um what do you see
1: well it's 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 um it's a lot of work people don't realize that um yeah because it's it's like over the years i i build up a, a big network and so the moments i get an assignment okay we're looking for this and this is type of horse for this and this rider this is the budget then the journey starts and then it's a lot of watching videos Mm -hmm. and a a lot of contact people and a lot of, and then the moment you are going to, uh, for example, this is a good example with Christian, it's two years ago. We, um, I don't know a little bit the background, but I have a couple of horses with his parents, the Mm -hmm. sales horses, uh, their business called Monaco Sport Horses, MRK. So we partner on that and uh, Christian is training with Adrian Lau. So, um, like, this was a little bit over two years ago. I didn't know him so well yet because they're always in the summer in Colorado. But anyway, Adrian was super busy. And Tina, his mom, suggested, okay, maybe it's a good idea that Misha goes with Christian. So we no- didn't really know each other. And then we, uh, you guys go. And then we try to bring it back to a couple of horses where we think it's going to be the right fit. And then Adrian can fly over mm-hmm. for the last trial.
0: Cool.
1: So, I started to find horses, and um, we end up uh, going there for almost. It was not two weeks, but it was at least ten days, and we tried and tried, and we rode. We rode, I think, at least five, six thousand kilometers. So that's like almost four thousand miles. And then uh, we were desperate because nothing seems to be the right horse. And then I, I thought, you know what? I think we have to go to Denmark because we did everything in Germany and Holland, and then. I contacted a couple of connections, and then for some reason we end up going to Denmark, and it was the right horse. So it's mm. the point is, it's also you have to do the work. You have to go and try those horses. You have right. to make the miles in the car, and nobody really realized that. But it's it's hard work. You go in the car seven uh, in the seven a.m. and you're sometimes back in the hotel at at ten p.m. You know, it's 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 <laughs> really hard.
0: Long days, yeah. But
1: and then you, yeah, the moment you try the horses and you have to do it another time. And yeah, and this this horse was uh, was also from a famous rider in Denmark and she didn't have to click with the horse, but it was in, in, in the beginning, nothing wrong with the horse. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they are just the perfect match. And I must also say, I think Adrian Lau is one of the best trainers in America and she has also an amazing management and uh, she knows what she's doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She did it all the way herself. She worked with less talented horses, and she made it work. And so, yeah, it's it's also always like you have to be also lucky that you see the match in the beginning, but then also the 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 management after that must be good.
0: Definitely to,
1: to make it more work. Yes,
0: absolutely. Looking back, what advice would you give your younger self when starting your equestrian career?
1: Sometimes I think that I, I think that with the horses, I I really strongly. Maybe sometimes I regret that I didn't pursue my dreams when I was younger. Mm. Um, but you know, as the as you know, in the horse world, it's so uh, money related, and uh, so yeah, I didn't see a choice that when I was younger. Right. I thought, okay, I need to finish my college, and then I start working in the in the in the banking industry, and of course, you make much more money than if you would go sure. right somewhere. Yeah. So for me, at that point, it wasn't an option you know I, I, I thought okay this is what it is and uh, maybe later on I can pick it up but that was always a little bit in my background and then mm-hmm. now I think yes why maybe if you had tried it then then it would be a different end but you know it is what it is and I, I can also do this now what I do now really because of my experience in the banking industry right because right. I have yeah I learned so much of of, of yeah, dealing with different type of clientele, you know, with with, with high-end clients and, and you know, uh, being being good at, at the service you, you're giving. And then it's like, yeah, everything happens for a reason is my philosophy. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. I was just yeah. going to
0: say that and think that's such <laughs> a, you're such a great example of that. What would you say is something that you are passionate about in the industry that you feel people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about?
1: That's a hard question. Yeah, what I really don't like at the moment in the dressage that there is a much of negativity, especially in Europe,
0: mm.
1: about the sport. And I hope, I hope really that that we go and past that at one point because it's such a lovely sport. And you see already a lot of changes in the way how high level dressage is going. Uh, the the judges rewarding much more the relaxation and the. You know the less it, it's 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 changing and i hope for the better for everybody that we still have uh dressage olympics in, in in four, eight or 12 years right because uh it, it scares me a little bit that dressage is in negative daylight a lot lately mm. and i think that's for nobody a good thing and it's it's just a pity because it's it can be so beautiful i mean if you look at 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 those freestyles this summer in uh, European championships, I don't know if you if you're into dressage or not, but you know it's it's so beautiful to if it goes I in the it's... right way it, it's' really does something with me and I always had that when I was younger and I still have it If I see a nice freestyle, the beautiful music and it's really it's dancing it's like looking like a mm-hmm. ballet, you know
0: right and yeah. uh,
1: I hope that. Uh, is never going to change.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. From um I'm a hunter jumper trainer and so I have so much respect for dressage because there's so many movements that you do that you have to completely train and start yeah. from from zero. And so it's so cool that that all of those intricate, you know, attention to detail um, processes have been, you know, trained into these horses for years and years for it to then come out to this like seamless, effortless looking dance. It's just like, it's yeah. so powerful and so cool and the way that it matches to music. It's just so beautiful.
1: And It's so easy to try to get something out of horse and is not capable of doing right. it because if you know... I do. I do running, uh, for example, a little bit here and there, if I uh, in one of my health journeys. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it would be also that I think, oh, is it a good idea to do a marathon tomorrow? No, uh, it's yeah. not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you 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 can better run five k and, mm-hmm. and don't get injured. And that's happening sometimes. I think that some horses get forced into it. And they're just not capable of doing it. Right. You know, for example, if you have a Prix test, that's a long test. And a horse needs to have go and be hot enough of himself. And of course, you can not expect from everybody the same thing. It's the same as some people are talented in playing the piano and some mm-hmm. in a guitar. And, uh, you know, and some can sing and some cannot. You know, and some horses don't have the, cap- the capacity to do it in that high mm-hmm. level and then yeah sometimes it's hard because there are also a lot of things uh, involved and but then sometimes I think yeah you have to decide okay this horse yeah cannot do the job so and then you also don't have to go so hard on it to get it there
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that's a great point well Misha thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your expertise and your journey it so exciting what you have put together for your life and the the winding road that got you to where you are today and it's exciting to continue to watch and i wish you all the best
1: thank you so much and and thank you thanks for having me
0: all right that is all i have for you today thank you so much for tuning in if you liked what you heard please take a minute and write a review on itunes i would so appreciate it it helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.